0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you, of course, by our good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag today and use the promo code UGA if you're a brand new user and they will double your very first deposit. It's a fantastic deal, guys. You're not going to beat it. Take advantage of it while you still can. You got another month or so to jump in on this. Make sure you do it today. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, guys. Kentucky. Let's dive into this preview. Now, I have to admit, you guys know this. A lot of you listened to this episode back in July. You remember this. But back in early July, in the preseason, I did an episode where I ranked each of our games based on difficulty. Like, this is the most difficult game, second most difficult, so on and so forth, right? And when I got to number one at the end of the episode, I think I might have surprised a few people when I had Kentucky as the number one most difficult game on our 2022 football schedule. And now that we are 12 weeks into that 2022 football season, I am man enough to admit that I was wrong. I was wrong, guys. Sometimes it happens. Now, saying that, the game has yet to be played. and Who knows? Maybe it will turn out to be the most difficult game. But on paper, based off what we've seen from this Kentucky team and this Georgia team this season, Through twelve weeks, it should not end up being the most difficult game on our schedule. If it does, then I will probably have a heart attack inside Kroger Field, and you can just bury me in ice. The far more likely outcome is that this game will not turn out to be the most difficult game on our schedule. And I know I can't go back and change that prediction now, and no one wants to hear this, but you know, as the summer progressed, you know, I did that episode. I think it was early July, if I if I remember correctly. But as you know, I got more into the film study of Kentucky as the summer went on, in my mind at least. And I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to go back on what I would said. And again, nobody cares that I'm saying this now. But in my mind, I was like, oh, man, like, I don't know. I just don't know if Kentucky's going to be as good as I, as I thought they would be, you know, May, June, July. And then when we did our preseason predictions episode where we predicted the record of every single team, you know, we print out the helmet schedule and we predict every single game that would be played in the SEC – it actually came out for me that I had Kentucky going six and six, which of course was very contradictory to where I had them ranked in that most difficult games episode when I had them ranked number one. How can they be the toughest game on our schedule when I have them going six and six? So I started to back off on that myself, but you know, once you make that prediction, you can't go back and say, oh yeah, my bad. Let me change that. You just got to roll with it. But again, any way you slice it, I was wrong. I was wrong. But that ranking when I had Kentucky ranked as the as the most difficult game on our schedule this season, that ranking never had to do with Kentucky necessarily being the best team on our schedule. It's not what that was about. Like, actually, I told you guys on that very same episode in early July that I actually felt Tennessee would be the best team that we face, but the fact that that game would be played inside Sanford Stadium while Kentucky and Mississippi State would be on the road late in the season in trap game spots that kept the Tennessee game out of the top spot, but I did feel like Tennessee was going to be the best team that we played all year, and it, that looks like that's going to be the case, at least in the regular season. My reasoning for having Kentucky ranked as the most difficult game on the schedule was based on where the game fell, like situationally. It's like all about circumstances. You know, If you look at our schedule coming into the season, I felt pretty strongly that our schedule was very backloaded. You know, After the bye week, you got Florida, you got Tennessee on the road to Mississippi State, on the road at Kentucky. I felt that was by far the toughest month of our schedule, the toughest four-game swing, especially when the last two games in that four-game swing are both on the road. Two very long road trips, this Kentucky game being the, the, again, the tail end of it, so the second straight long road trip, the second consecutive trap game setting to me, that screamed, okay, this is just a tough spot. It's a really tough spot against a really, really well-coached team, a very well-coached, prepared, and very tough Kentucky football team at the tail end of your schedule. Maybe we're beat up by that point. Kentucky's physical. This is going to be a tough game. And I've been in Kroger Field many times, guys, and I know it's got this reputation as a a basketball school. I understand that. But those fans show up for football, especially when Georgia comes to town. And if we were as good as I thought that we would be, and as it's turned out that we have been so far this season, I felt like this would be a a very motivated crowd, a really jacked up crowd. I still expect that to be the case. But then Vandy happened, right? Last week, Vandy comes in, And they beat Kentucky in Lexington. And I was really glad to see that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just, it's good for Vandy. Like, good for Vandy. You know, it's been a, what was it, 26-game SEC losing streak? Like, that sucks, man. I mean, I don't really care that much about Vandy, but, you know, you hate to see guys that put in all that time, the blood, sweat, and the tears, just not have any kind of success. I'm glad it wasn't against us, but it's nice to see Vandy actually win a football game. I got a lot of respect for Clark Lee and that Vandy staff. And I also bet on Vandy, plus 17 and a half. So I mean I just wanted them to cover if they I and I swear to God, guys, I was so close to actually just taking a flyer on Vandy to an outright on upset special, but I was like, no, no, they can't, they can't win this game. So I was beating myself in the head. And Starkville, as I was watching that game, I was like, oh my God, I was excited, but also like, God, Tyler, what were you doing? You had this. You saw this coming. Then yeah, doesn't matter if you see it coming, you don't have to put the bet down. But good for Vandy. But there's also an alternate way to look at this. I think another side to consider. When you lose to Vandy, that says a lot about your program, right? You lose to Vandy at home. You're not in a good spot right now. Your team program's fine, but this team right now is just not in a good spot. They're just not very good, to be quite honest with you. They're okay. I mean, they, they are they're gonna probably be six and six, guys. Like if we beat them, I think they're probably going to lose to Louisville. Louisville's playing a lot better right now. Now that game is in Lexington, but right now I have to pick Louisville. So my preseason prediction, at least in terms of record for Kentucky, looks pretty like it looks like it might hit right now. It looks pretty good. But another way to look at that loss, at least the aftermath of that loss, and I'm sure Kentucky fans are trying to look at it this way in the program, the team, the players themselves are trying to look at it this way, trying to approach it this way. I do think there's a world in which that Vandy loss is kind of like an eye-opener, right? And lights even more of a fire under them. And they come out firing, trying to make up for that loss, trying to make amends for what was just an absolutely terrible loss for Kentucky. But honestly, I mean, how much more motivation do you need when the number one team, the defending national champion, is coming into your place? You get the 330 CBS treatment, which Kentucky rarely gets. I mean, you are already going to be laser-focused for this game. It was already going to be a big game in your mind. You're already going to be fired up to play this game. Like, How much more fired up, how much more focused are you going to be now that you lost to Vandy? So I don't know if I buy into that as much as maybe Kentucky fans are. And I know that Will Levis is trying to do his best to create that narrative in the media this week. But I, I just don't think that I buy into it all that much. But I do expect us to get their best shot because that's what teams do when they play us at this point it's the same treatment that Bama's gotten for the past decade plus. And we're getting that this season. We're going to get it next season and on into the future as long as we keep winning at this level under Kirby Smart. And we know that. And we have to expect that. And that's why we talk about playing to our standard. You can't focus on the opponent because you're always going to get the opponent's best shot. Like the Kentucky team that we saw play against Vanderbilt last week is not going to be the same Kentucky team that we play this weekend. It's just not going to be the case. I mean, it's the same players. I understand that the same coaching staff, but they're not going to play that way. I fully expect them to give us a far better effort, and that's how it's going to be, and that's fine. But is that does that mean it's going to be enough? Honestly, as you'll hear me go throughout this episode, say throughout this episode, no, I don't think it will be. But when you go back through the season for Kentucky, and I've watched this team very closely because again, I had them ranked as the number one most difficult game in our schedule coming into the season, so I had some respect for them. I do have a lot of respect for Mark Stoops and his staff and this program and what they've done over the past you know six seven years. I've watched them very closely and I was very curious what this team was going to look like were they going to be 6 and 6 like that caliber team like I actually predicted on the, on the actual prediction episode or were they going to be closer to the team that I said was going to be the, the toughest game for us all season long. So I, I've watched a lot of them. You go back to week 2, everyone was sky high on Florida after they upset Utah in week 1, and then Kentucky comes to town, actually as an underdog, and they pull that upset and completely shut down Anthony Richardson in that Florida offense. So, hey, Early in the season, Kentucky's looking pretty good, right? And then, fast forward a couple weeks, the same weekend we were playing Missouri, I was sitting in Harpos in, in Columbia watching Kentucky play Ole Miss in Oxford. And if you saw that game, you know what I'm talking about here. Like, Kentucky had them beat. Kentucky was basically all they had to do was set up a chance to kick a field goal. the end of regulation and they were right there and the game at the very least goes into overtime Kentucky had all the momentum think they were the better team that day and they probably would have won in overtime but they had a couple horrific turnovers and one on that last drive just really really bad by Will Levis and they end up losing that game but you walk out of the game yeah Kentucky lost but Kentucky was the better team Kentucky should have won that football game and then they turn right back around and bounce back with a big win they beat what was at the time a six and one Mississippi State team at home, and I completely shut down that Mississippi State offense. They held them to 225 yards, guys. I'd never seen a team to that point control the Mississippi State air raid attack the way that Kentucky did. They used a lot of simulated pressure, and I was very, very impressed with that defensive game plan, which I should have been surprised because that's what Mark Stoops and that defensive staff do. They're just really, really good at their jobs. So after that game, you're thinking, okay, like Kentucky's got their mojo back, like they're gonna get rolling here. Well, oh, I guess also I should mention, between the loss in uh in Oxford and the win against Mississippi State, they also lost to South Carolina at home. But I kinda throw that one out because Will Levis didn't play, they had a backup quarterback that played that game and I mean, he just couldn't do anything kind and sheer, and he just couldn't do anything whatsoever. But then they get Levis back against Mississippi State, and they beat the 6-1 Mississippi State team. You're like, okay, now now they're looking good. Maybe this is a Kentucky, a Kentucky team that can actually go out and, you know, win some games, finish 9-3, 8-4, something like that. But then they went to Knoxville, and just got smacked in the face. Now, the final score was kind of misleading. The, the final score was 44-6. I think it was a closer game. I think they played better than that score would indicate. I mean, they did hold Tennessee to 422 total yards. I mean, at that time, Tennessee Tennessee's offense is all the world could talk about, which is still kind of true. But I thought they played the Tennessee offense as well as any team that I had seen to that point. But it was turnovers that killed them. I think they had three interceptions, a couple of them inside, Tennessee territory, One in the first half and the game was still in doubt and like they were within striking distance and they were like inside the the Tennessee 25 and Will Lewis throws the pick, they were like 45 yards set up step another score and it, it things just got kind of out of hand but I don't think they played all together that poorly, at least not as poorly as the 44-6 final score would indicate and then after that they go on the road to Missouri and win a barn burner man against Mizzou in which neither team surpassed 252 yards, they actually combined for 484 yards combined, just an ugly ugly football game and then Vandy happened last week and the thing about that Vandy game guys I don't know how many of you had eyes on that game I watched the entire game I was gonna had money on it and I thought it was intriguing to see Vandy go for their first SEC win in such a long period of time that win for Vandy was not fluky. They did not, like, accidentally find themselves winning that football game. Kentucky did not give that game away, which sometimes happens against teams like Vandy. You would think if Vandy goes on the road and wins an SEC game against a team like Kentucky this as well-coached as Kentucky is, there had to be something that Kentucky did wrong, like some uncharacteristic turnovers, things like that. No, not really in this game. Vandy just flat-out beat them. I mean, they outgained Kentucky by more than 120 yards, uh, and Vandy actually missed... A couple of other scoring opportunities. They threw an interception inside the Kentucky 30. That Kentucky returned for a, for a good chunk of yardage. And they also got stopped on downs inside Kentucky territory twice because basically penalties pushed them back and they got ended up getting stopped there. But they could have actually won that game, game by a couple of scores and it wasn't as small of a margin as it ended up being. But at the end of the day, Vandy won. That's really all that matters. So there's been some ups and downs for this Kentucky team throughout the year. But lately, the Wildcats have been far more down than they have been up. And right after this quick break, I'm going to explain why they have been far more down lately and what's going on with this Kentucky team. We'll take a look at their offense, take a look at their defense, and talk about how we match up with them. But first, let me tell you guys about our good friends my bookie once again. I know the college football season is very tragically coming to an end. It sucks. But there's still some football left to be played. And at this point, guys, here's the cool thing. When we get to this point in the season, at this advanced stage, you've had a chance to see all these teams play. You and I have seen all these teams play, most of them multiple times. So we have a good working knowledge of who's good, who's not, and how these teams match up with one another. So now is the time, more than ever, to jump in on my bookie, sign up for a new account, and put that knowledge to the test. Use it to make some money, guys rivalry weeks next week that's always always adds a little bit more spice a little bit more intrigue to the games when you got a little bit of money on when the stakes are a little bit higher and bowl season will be here before we know it and I know bowl season is entirely unpredictable but that that's like what makes it so fun I have a ton of fun putting a little money down on some of these bowl games otherwise you really wouldn't watch that much like you know you're gonna watch the Boca Raton Bowl right well you might not care about those teams but it's a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting when you have a little bit of money on it. So go ahead today, guys. If you haven't already, jump in on the action. Go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code U G A, and they will double your very first deposit. It is a no brainer, guys, for me, as far as I'm concerned. So make sure to jump on there today and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot com.
0: Alright, guys, let's jump back into this and let's go with the Kentucky offense. This is a matchup between the best defense in the league, I would say inarguably the best defense in the league, versus arguably the worst offense in the league. I think the only other team that would be in contention for the title of worst offense in the league is Missouri. They're kind of neck and neck there, but you can certainly make a very strong argument that Kentucky is the worst offense in the entire SEC, which if you've watched this team over the past couple years, That's not really anything new. I mean, they've been 11th or worse in the SEC in total offense in three last four years. Last year, they did actually jump up a little bit, cycled up to eighth in the league under Liam Cohen with 424 yards a game, which is actually their best since 2010 when they averaged 427 yards a game. But Liam Cohen left, went back to the NFL. I think he's now the offense coordinator with the Rams. That's not going so well, is it? But this Kentucky offense, while they're usually not very good on offense, this Kentucky offense is especially bad they are currently only averaging 339.5 yards per game but hey hey they're all the way up at 13th in the SEC in yards per play with a blistering 5.42 yards per play slightly edging out Missouri in that category they're scoring 23 points per game through the course of the first 10 games in the season, but only 19 points per game against SEC opponents, which is 13th in the league. In fact, they have not scored more than 37 points in a single game all season. They hit that mark in week one against Miami of Ohio. They got held, as I told you earlier, to six points by a very bad Tennessee defense. We know what Tennessee's offense can do, but that defense is garbage. And that garbage Tennessee defense held Kentucky's offense to six points. And then last week, they got held to 21 points at home against Vanderbilt, which has statistically the worst defense in the SEC in basically every statistical category. They are terrible on defense, and they held Kentucky to three touchdowns. I mean, guys, Vandy is so bad. They're bottom five defensively in the entire country in both total defense and yards per play defensively. Vandy is very bad on defense, and Kentucky simply could not get anything going against that Vanderbilt defense. I mean, guys, Kentucky only had 322 yards, 322 total yards against Vanderbilt, a team that gave up 628 yards of offense to Alabama, 591 to Mississippi, 579 to us, 492 to South Carolina, who is not good offensively, and all Kentucky could do was muster 322 yards. Hell, guys, Vandy gave up 495 yards to Elon, and Kentucky managed 322. That's really all you need to know. That's all you need to say to tell you how bad this Kentucky offense is playing right now, and really how bad they've been all season. And there's a lot of facets to why they are this bad. Parvit is there's a changeover. Obviously, coordinator Liam Cohen went out, it's now back in the NFL. Rich Scangrello came from the NFL back to the college ranks. And uh, so they were trying to keep some cohesiveness in there offensively, right? So Scangrello, Cohen come from the same kind of tree-ish, pro-style tree, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan-type tree from the NFL. And so it was supposed to be plug-and-played offensive coordinator. That was the idea, why they went and got this guy. But in year one, at least, I, I know it's just year one, but in year one, which is all we have to go off of right now, it's been one giant whiff on offense for Rich Scangrello. And that happens from time to time when there's some changeover and a transition with your offensive coordinator, or defensive coordinator. But you know they spent all offseason telling us that the terminology might have been a little bit different, but the concepts are the exact same. We're going to we're going to build off of what we did last year when we had this big jump on offense last year, up to number eight in the SEC in total offense. Well, that hasn't been the case. They've fallen back down to where they were prior to Liam Cohen coming in. And I don't want to put it all on Scangrello. I think he's certainly has a great deal of culpability in this. He is the coordinator after all, and he's the guy calling the plays. But he he doesn't have a ton to work with, to be quite honest with you, especially the skill positions. And if you look at the quarterback position, you guys know Will Levis, the guy who allegedly, apparently, is going to not only be a first-round NFL draft pick, but according to some of these NFL draft analysts, is going to be the number one quarterback taken in the draft, which just blows my mind. Because, look, you guys know I'm a college guy. I watch college football. I watch some NFL here and there, but I'm, I'm all in on college football. I mean, I, I spend, obviously, Saturday, then Sunday, Monday, sometimes into Tuesday watching games from the previous week, trying to get all the games that I possibly can. So I watch a lot of football. I've watched a lot of Will Levis, guys. And the idea that he is going to, again, not just be a first-round draft pick, but potentially the number one quarterback taken in the NFL draft – Good luck to you, man. I mean, I know everyone's looking for the next Josh Allen. I get that, but I don't know. I mean, based off what I've seen from the, from him at the college level, his production does not tell me first-round draft, let alone number one quarterback taken in the NFL draft. I get the tools. Like, he has immense physical tools, but he just has yet to master exactly how to harness those tools and actually put and translate them into production on the field. So at, at this point, Will Levis is who he is. He is that guy. He's really, really physically talented, physically gifted, can make some wow plays. But he is so inconsistent. Now, you look at his numbers. The numbers themselves, if you're just a, a stat cat and you're just looking at numbers, they're not like outright terrible. 66% complete percentage, 223 yards a game, 8.6 yards per pass. Solid-ish, right? But for the second year in a row, Will Levis leads the SEC in interceptions. The dude threw 13 picks last year. And you would think, okay, year two, this guy is going to learn. Last year was his first year as a starter. Well, he'll get better there, right? Nah, man. Nine picks this year. I don't know if he'll hit that 13 mark, but he's still got at least three games left. Very easily could, could equal or surpass that number. He's just a really poor decision maker at the quarterback position. And that's not ideal when you're trying to operate NFL-style offense when they put a lot on the quarterback and expect the quarterback to be a very good decision maker. He's also a very erratic downfield passer. And when they call play, they'll, they'll run a lot of play action, right? It's NFL-style offense. So when they call these play action shots, these vertical shots down the field, watch him guys like they call that shot it doesn't matter if the guy's double triple covered he is going to let that ball go he's just gonna let it go he's like oh you call this play man I'm, I'm gonna take my shot I'm gonna take my shot and more often than not it doesn't really work out for him so no I mean I could be wrong on this but no in no way I w- would I draft this guy in the first round of the NFL draft like no just no no thank you no someone else can do that that's fine you can be the you can be the crazy genius out there and you can be right I, I'm not I'm not taking that gamble but it's not all Levis. Levis is not good, guys. He's not a good college quarterback. He's got the tools. Maybe he'll grow into a good NFL quarterback like Josh Allen, but at the college level, the production for two years straight, it just is not there, but he, in reality, doesn't really have a lot to work with around him. You know, losing Wondell Robinson was a big loss for them. Like, he was their playmaker on offense last year, and that guy was like a 1,300-yard receiver for them, and he was dynamic. And so that they had a hole in this offense, and they were trying to replace. Like, how do you replace that? You, well, you go out and you do what you did with Wandell. You try to like just hit a home run on the transfer portal. And so this year they went and got a guy from Virginia Tech. His name's Tavian Robinson, and he was brought in like explicitly to be their next Wandell Robinson as the number one wide receiver to replace him. But that's just not who he is. You know, when they brought him in, he had never been that guy at Virginia Tech. I mean, at Virginia Tech in his three years there. He averaged between 400 and 600 yards receiving, so solid. Like he was a productive guy, but he was never their number one receiver. He never showed signs of being that. So I never really understood the hype when they landed him in the portal. Like this guy's gonna come in and, and just be your number one guy. He's gonna be Wandell Robinson out of the gate. Like why would I think that? And he hasn't been. He's right now he's got 470 yards receiving. He's exactly who he was at Virginia Tech. I don't know why anyone thought he'd be anything different. It wasn't Virginia Tech's offense holding him back. It wasn't the quarterbacks holding him back. He's just who he is. He's not especially good at anything. He's not especially fast, quick, out of his breaks, anything like that. Like, he doesn't have an elite skill set. He has a good, solid skill set, but he's not an elite player. He's never been an elite player, and he was not just going to magically turn into one once he stepped foot in Lexington, Kentucky. There is no reason to believe that, especially when you've got Will Levis as the quarterback distributing the ball to you. So I never saw that, and it's turned out that, yeah, he's just that guy. He's the guy that he was at Virginia Tech. Now, the guys that are actually the most intriguing pieces to this offense are a couple of really talented, true freshman wide receivers. They've got two tall, long, and speedy wide receivers and Dane Key and Barryon Brown. Now, Key's been the one who I guess I would say is more of their big play threat, at least in terms of production. But Brown is, I, I think Brown is a better athlete. I think Brown has got speed to burn, man. But Key has got 26 catches on the year for 412 yards, 15 yards of catch, five touchdowns. I think he's been a little bit more consistent, but Barry on Brown guys is a playmaker. He's going to be very, very good for Kentucky. If they can finally get a quarterback to actually throw him the football and be consistent there. He's got 31 catches for 415 yards on the season. He does a lot of stuff in the return game as well. He is a pure flat out blazer. That guy has home run speed. Extraordinary. Like He's a big time guy, big time athlete, and just a playmaker waiting to happen. But he's young, and so is Key. These guys are good, but they struggle with the consistency at times. And again, when in this offense with Will Levis, you don't exactly have a high-level college quarterback throwing you the football. So they've both been really good for a true freshmen, but they haven't quite taken that step to become like nightmares for opposing defenses to deal with. But I think in the future they will be. I, I think Brown is a guy I like a little bit more than Key, but but Key's also really, really good. So those are the two guys I think are their biggest playmakers on offense, but they're just young. They're not super consistent. And then at running back, you guys know the name, Chris Rodriguez. He's back. Now, they opened this season and he had a four-game suspension. Now, they're very coy about that, but he did not play the first four games. That was actually a big part of why it had them going six and six. I thought, I thought they would actually lose to Florida because I because Chris Rodriguez I know they didn't say he was gonna be out for four games I felt like knowing what went down there that he or knowing what we knew about what went down that he was probably gonna be out and I didn't think they could beat Florida without him but some way somehow they ended up beating Florida in that game and without him they really could not run the football to save their lives now he's come back and he's, he's been really good for them because that's that's who he is he's been a really really good running back for a couple of years for them and he still even though he missed the first four games of the season Rodriguez still leads the Wildcats in rushing by a very wide margin. He's got 733 yards rushing. He was a 1,300 guy last year. The next closest running back to Rodriguez is Cavassier Smoke, who's also been around for a while, and he's only got 277 yards. And he's been around all year long. I know he had a little bit of an injury at 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 some point in the season, but he didn't have a four-game suspension. Rodriguez is really good, guys. He's a really, really good running back. He's been one of the best running backs in the SEC for a while now. He's averaging 5.5 yards per carry, and that's when everyone knows what they want to do. They People know, defensive coordinators know they want to feed Rodriguez. I mean, he is a workhorse running back, big, strong, physical runner, breaks tackles. I mean, he just will not go down. Like You have to like gang tackle this guy to get him on the ground because he fights in claws and scratches and churns those legs for every single yard. But here's the very weird thing about this Kentucky offense. So, Chris Rodriguez is back. He's been back since October. But despite the presence of Rodriguez, Kentucky's only 13th in the league in rushing offense at 119 yards a game. In fact, before Rodriguez came back, even for a couple weeks after he came back, they were dead last in the SEC in rushing offense for for about half the season. They're still dead last in the league in yards per rush at 3.29. And in fact, they're only they're the only team in the league under 3.5 yards per rush. But it's not, and it's, I know this is weird for me to say, you would think, okay, if well, they're if their rushing numbers are that bad, like their running backs just aren't that good. Well, I mean, you could take that view of it, but he's good, guys. I mean, he's got multiple games this year where he's rushed for over 180 yards. He was good last week against Vanderbilt. He's not the reason they lost that game. He ran for 162 and nine yards or rush against Vandy last week. They just couldn't get anything going in the passing game because Will Levis sucks. He is an absolutely ferocious runner. I love watching the guy play when he's not playing us because like if I was a running back, if I was a college running back, that's the kind of college running back that I would want to be. So if you've got this dude at running back who's putting up big-time numbers, even though he missed the first four games, why are they so far down the SEC rankings when it comes to rushing? Well, the rushing numbers are actually kind of middle of the pack. If you just isolate the running back numbers, like what are the running backs doing in their production... But the rush numbers are being weighed down by their sack yardage. If you take a close look at it, guys, peel back the layers, it's the sack yardage that is dragging their rush numbers down because in college football, that is just attached to your rushing numbers. Kentucky, along with LSU, have allowed more sacks than any other team in the SEC. Both Kentucky and LSU are, are in last place in the SEC in sacks allowed. They give up 39 sacks, guys. 39 sacks in 10 games. Do the math. They're basically giving up four sacks a game. That is crazy. Like, how is that even possible? I mean, it, it's so crazy. It's so out there. The next closest team. So you, again, you got LSU and you got Kentucky at 39 sacks allowed. The 12th team in the SEC is giving up 25 sacks. So they have 14 more sacks allowed than the next worst team. That is crazy. They are 129th nationally in standard down sack rate. They're 126th nationally in passing down sack rate. So whether it's standard down, whether it's passing downs, it doesn't matter. It makes essentially no difference. They cannot protect the quarterback. Their offensive line, guys, is the problem. They are terrible. And beyond just pass protection, This Kentucky offense, their offensive line is responsible for this. They're only 102nd nationally in opportunity rate and 108th nationally in stuff rate. So, opportunity rate, if you guys aren't familiar with that advanced stat, it's essentially when there are four yards to be gained, how often are four yards actually gained? And it really tries to isolate the effect and the impact of the offensive line. Stuff rate is the percentage of rushing plays where you're stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. 102nd opportunity rate, 108th nationally and stuff rate. It's honestly a testament to Chris Rodriguez and how good that guy is that he's been able to be as successful as he has been this season once he got back from suspension behind that offensive line because they are terrible. Rush game, pass pro, it doesn't matter. They are flat out bad. But the sack numbers are the real problem. Poor Will Levis has minus 123 yards rushing. And this guy had over 300 yards rushing last year. He's a mobile guy. They they, they can use him in the run game. They do it times He can scramble at times, but he's been more hesitant to do that this year. Maybe it's the NFL stuff. He's also been dealing with an injury for most of the year, so I think that probably factors in as well. But the bottom line, again, this Kentucky offensive line is flat out bad, and that is the biggest issue for this offense. That is why they are as bad as they are. That is why they've taken a step back from eighth in the SEC in total offense back to the bottom of the league once again this season. They lost a bunch of guys off of last year's offensive line, and in my opinion— the Kentucky offensive line was the best line in the entire SEC last year. You lose a guy like Darian who was a second round draft pick, Luke Jackson, really good center for them. Lost some dudes, lost some really good players who'd been around a long time and played a lot of good football for Kentucky. And you just can't get away with being bad on the offensive line when you run a pro style attack. Like if you run a spread offense to a degree You can get away with not being great on the offensive line. In fact, that's why some teams, some of these teams that can't recruit at the level of a Georgia or an Alabama, those kind of teams, they have to run spread offenses because they don't have the offensive linemen to hold up with the elite defensive linemen that the top programs have. So what is the equalizer? You have the spread offense, right? Because what that does is it gets guys out of the box. It gets the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly because a lot of those offenses, most of those offenses are built on the quick passing game and getting the ball to playmakers in space. So you can kind of mitigate that to a degree. But when you run a pro-style offense, that's not the case. Guys are typically more stacked in the box. You got tighter looks. Those pro-style offenses tend to rely on slower developing passing plays. You know, a lot of play action, vertical shots down the field. And so if your offensive line is not good, you can't hide them. There's no way to hide them. So when you put all of this together, you got a talented, at least physically talented, but very unpolished quarterback who takes a lot of risk and puts the ball in harm's way pretty regularly. You have below average wide receiver play, some talented young guys, but your production hasn't been elite. You have absolutely terrible offensive line play, a new offensive coordinator. You put all that together, you have the recipe for the worst offense in the league. And I think that's what Kentucky is, guys. Missouri's right there. It's neck and neck. But at the very least, they are one of the two worst offenses in the entire SEC. And I will jump over to the defensive side of the ball here momentarily. But first, let me remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. Black Friday, guys, it is one week away. So you know the Christmas shopping season is literally just around the corner. And for every Georgia fan in your life, and I know you got them, Alumni Hall is... Is hands down the place to go to put a smile on everyone's face come Christmas. You guys know I've made it clear over the course of this season I love me some Johnny O. I I found out about Johnny O for the first time last year, and I personally like it better than the Peter Millar stuff. I know a lot of people love Peter Millar, but you're not going to find a better selection of Georgia Johnny O stuff anywhere than you will at Alumni Hall. I mean, and they just got a brand new ship of a bunch of like, fall winter stuff you got some q-zips got some really cool stuff for you guys so make sure to check that out today because with the holiday seasons coming up fast guys they're going to sell out trust me they're going to sell fast so make sure to jump in on it today you can stop in in store inside the Eppsbridge shopping center here in the classic city or online at alumnihall.com because alumni hall is where the bulldog shop
1: you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right,
0: guys, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's go to the Kentucky defense. They haven't been great this season, guys. Kentucky has not been a great football team. Again, they're 6-4 and four right now. Most likely outcome is they're going to end up 6-6 six and six on the year. But despite those struggles and the step back they've taken this year after winning 10 games last year, I still have a lot of respect for Mark Stoops and what he's done with this this Kentucky program. I mean, it's been remarkable, guys, the transformation of this Kentucky football program under Mark Stoops the past six, seven years. I mean, Kentucky had not won 10 games since 1977, and they've won 10 games twice in the last five years under Mark Stoops. This guy is one hell of a football coach. But this program, this Kentucky program, especially under Mark Stoops, has always been built on defense. Some really strong, well coached defenses. That's what Mark Stoops does. He was a defense coordinator by trade. He came from from Florida State as their DC to Kentucky. And with these strong defenses that have led the way, the offenses have been along for the ride at best. And then the random years where their offense kind of cycles up a little bit, like last year, well, that's when you get 10 wins. But that consistent level of defensive production, that's at least given them a baseline of about six and six, which is what they're going to be this year. But that's why they at least have that baseline. That's why they don't bottom out and go two and 10, three and nine, because that defense is so well coached and so consistent that it can't happen. They're just too good on defense for it to happen. But this defense did struggle some to start this season. But unsurprisingly, Mark Stoops got that turned around, and they've stabilized. They're currently third in the SEC and 17th nationally in total defense, giving up only 317 yards a game. They are fourth in the SEC and 45th nationally in yards per play allowed, giving up 5.26 yards per play. They are third in the SEC in scoring defense at 20 points per game, and they are in the top 10 at number nine in the S&P Plus defensive rankings. By most measures, they are the third best team in the SEC. In fact, you could argue they're the second best. They are neck and neck with Baylor in basically every major statistical category. They're right there. Specifically, they have been statistically very good against the pass. They're second in the SEC in passing yards allowed. They're fifth in yards per attempt. And they're third in quarterback rating against. They've been very, very good against the pass this year. They've also been good, at least statistically, against the run. They only give 135 yards a game, which is fifth in the SEC but they are giving up 4.14 yards per rush, which is only eighth in the league. But here's the thing. When you actually watch them play and you don't just go all stat cap, outside of the Florida game where they, they they held Florida in check with their running game, Florida is a really, really good rushing attack. But outside of Florida, every other team that they have played that is even remotely capable of running the football, they've given up some pretty serious yards. They gave up 177 to Tennessee. They gave up 179 to South Carolina, who doesn't really run the ball especially well at all. But Marshawn Lloyd had a career game against Kentucky in Lexington. They gave up 186 to Ole Miss. Um, even though they they held Florida to like 135 yards rushing that game, they still gave up 4.5 yards per rush to Florida, which, you know, that, that's a solid effort. But that's not like they shut down Florida. And then, again, last week, they just gave up 264 yards to Vandy. The Commodores had 200-yard rushers against the Wildcats last week. And when you watch them play, you see that teams are able to have some success running against this Kentucky defense. They have a guy named Justin Rogers, which some of you might remember from recruiting a couple years ago. He was a, a four-star, not a five-star, four-star recruit. And we were recruiting him as an offensive lineman. There were some conversations, gonna be offensive line, defensive line. I always felt he'd be a better offensive lineman, but I think he wanted to play defensive line. He ended up at Kentucky as one of the bigger gets in the recruiting game uh, under Mark Stoops but he's, and he's a big dude, he's 6'3", about 332 in the middle of that defense, but he's just not really a fit. This is like a natural defensive lineman when I watch him play. Then you got Octavius Oxendine, like an all-time name, love that name, Octavius Oxendine, and he plays a lot in the middle of that defensive line as well, but he's really undersized. He gets moved. He's, a, he's an athletic guy, but he's like 6'1", 280, so it's easier to move him. DeAndre Squares, he's a good inside linebacker, but when you have a guy like Oxendine in front of you, You don't really keep some of those offensive linemen off the linebackers as much as you would like. So teams that can run the football have actually been able to run the football against them. And I hope that we were able to have that kind of success too. We should be able to, depending on how they defend us. Now, they'll probably come out doing what most teams do when they defend us and they'll roast safety down the box and dare us to beat them. But we've been able to do that against most teams this season now they're going to gamble and say you know we're really good against the past we got some good corners we got some experienced safeties we feel confident that you guys don't have the skill players the wideouts, to go out and consistently beat us one-on-one that's what they're going to do that is the gamble that they are going to make but that's the same gamble that Mississippi State made and we saw what happened there that's the same gamble that Tennessee made and we saw what happened there. Now, the difference is they are better in the back end, in the secondary, than either Mississippi State or Tennessee. So they're more equipped to do that. I told you guys on the mailbag episode this week, the question we got, our question of the day was, what is Georgia's fatal flaw? And I'm not sure that we have one, but my response was, if we do have one, Without A.D. Mitchell, it's the lack of elite playmakers at wide receivers. We know how teams are going to defend us because they know what we want to do offensively, especially now that we're embracing that more, that identity of running the football, establishing the run, working play action off that. What we did to great effect last year, I think we can just be even better at it this year with the experience that we have and some of the playmakers that we have to work with. We've embraced that. So you know how teams are going to defend us. They want to get extra bodies in the box, and they're going to dare us to beat them out wide. To this point, no one's been able to really do that. No one's been able to load the box and just man up our wide receivers and shut us down the way that South Carolina did back in 2019. We all remember what happened there, right? And I'm not sure Kentucky is equipped to do that either. But what I will say is that I think they are the most equipped to do that of the teams that we have played the back half of the schedule. Because I think they are better in the back end than Tennessee, than Mississippi State, than Florida, all those teams. So if there's a team that can do that and give us trouble and really force us to try to win on the outside and create separation, which we are not doing consistently outside of Lab McConkie, it is Kentucky. Now, one thing that would also very much help them slow down our offense, and in some way, somehow pull this upset is affecting the quarterback, right? Getting the quarterback, sacking the quarterback, creating negative plays, forcing turnovers, those kind of things. That would certainly be a big part of the recipe to pull this upset. But unfortunately for Kentucky, they have been woeful in rushing the passer this year. They are dead last in the SEC with only 15 sacks. I know everyone's all worried about our sacks and that we're not rushing the passer enough. Well, guys, Kentucky's worse. I mean, we've only got 17 ourselves but we don't rely on that the way that some teams do. Kentucky's got 15, and that's not a great matchup when you have the worst pass rushing team in the SEC, at least from a sack standpoint, going against the best pass protection offense in the league. Guys, we've only given up seven sacks all season. That is by far the best in the entire league. We're the only team in the SEC that's given up single-digit sacks right now through 10 games. So hopefully that will allow our receivers a little bit more time to create that separation against one of the better secondaries that we have seen all year. That's my hope. J.J. Weaver is the best pass rusher on the team, but he, he's he been banged up a little bit this year. He's missed a couple of games. He was really good for them as a pass rusher last year. But this year, he's only got two sacks. And he was a guy that I thought like really might break out for them last year. I think he had about six and a half sacks last year. And I was like, okay, that guy is going to be like a dude next year. But he hasn't been that guy this year. I think a big part of that has to do with injuries. Again, only two sacks on the year. But he has that potential. He's back. He's playing. I don't know what degree of health he's at right now. But if he is healthy, he has the potential to be an elite pass rusher. But it just hasn't been the case for him or this entire Kentucky defense all year long. So there's the Kentucky defense, and real quick before I get out of here, let's kind of just wrap this up, put a nice, neat little bow on it. What would I do? What would I do against this Kentucky football team offensively and defensively? How do we match up with them? I think we match up with them very well on defense. This Kentucky offense, as I told you guys, is a pro-style attack. That is the kind of attack that we are built to stop. It's kind of what Michigan ran last year, right? It's more of a pro-style type offense. Teams that are built on running the football Don't ever fare well against us. I mean, it's very rare that a team that's just like, okay, we're gonna run a pro-style offense, we're gonna run the ball down your throat, has any sort of success against our defense because that is what we do best. Like that is what we do by trade. We stop the run. Traditionally, it's been the teams that have the ability to throw all over the field that have given us trouble. Whether it was Oklahoma back in 2017 and the Rose Bowl, whether it's all those different Alabama teams. Whether it was LSU back in 2019, those are the teams that give us trouble. It's been extraordinarily rare. In fact, I can't really think of an instance in my mind right now in the Kirby Smart era, I guess since 2017, where a team just been just been able to line up and just run the ball down our throat. Which is what Kentucky has to do to be successful. That's how they win games because Will Levis cannot beat you with his arm alone. It just it can't happen. It's it's a physical impossibility at this point. So you know after. A couple weeks in a row, we're playing very different style offenses. I mean, last week, guys, I mean, playing that offense, it's not the triple option, but it's kind of like playing the triple option. You have to run an entirely different defense than what you do any other game. You have to imagine our defensive players are relishing the opportunity to get back and play an old school pro style offense, which is what they face in practice every day. Again, it's it's what they're built to do. They get to actually get to, like inside linebackers, Pop Dumas Dumas Johnson gets to run around and actually hit running backs. That's something he's going to get to do this week. So I think we match up very, very well with them. We should not do anything differently than what we do on a normal basis, though. I know they want to run the football. I know Chris Rodriguez is their playmaker on offense, so you'd be very tempted to roll those safeties in the box, but that's not what we do defensively, right? We dare teams to be able to run the ball on us with even numbers in the box. Now, maybe Kentucky's going to be able to do that. Chris Rodriguez is Probably the best running back that we faced all year. He is a load. He's a different kind of challenge. But we are going to have to force them to show us, hey, you are just gashing us with the runs. So we're gonna have to roll safeties down force them to show us that, because even though they don't throw the ball especially well, they are pro-style offense, they want to establish the run, if they're able to establish the run, they're going to take play-action vertical shots down the field, and if we are playing man-free out there with one safety roaming the middle of the field and we're manning up on the outside, that's going to at least give them the opportunity to hit some of those explosive plays. Will Levis is not good, but he's got a good arm, he can put the ball out there, and they do have those young receivers, Key and Brown, who have the ability to in isolated situations, to go out and make those plays one-on-one. So just do what we do and force them to just to prove to us that they can actually run the football against us and force us to roll those things down the box. Don't just come out doing that because that's what Kentucky does, because they run the football. Like That's not what we do. That's not Georgia football. Force them to prove that they can do it consistently against our front seven. Offensively, now it all depends on how they defend us. I, I would imagine they're going to come out with a lot of people in the box because that's just how people defend us. And it's how Kentucky's defended us in the past. But I think that we can have some success running the football on this team because, again, every team that is even like moderately good at running the football has had success against this Kentucky defense. And they're going to come out fired up, for sure, and they're probably going to stone us a couple times early in this game, but we can't get away from it. We have to stay committed, continue to try to establish the run, and then work play action off that, because I know that they are good in the secondary. They're, again, better than, I think, anyone that we've played in the secondary so far this season. But they are also going to have a really hard time matching up with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, even Ladd McConkie, who now seems to be getting more and more healthy. He's that one guy that we have that I feel confident that can still consistently create some separation. And who knows, maybe... We will have an A.D. Mitchell side this week. Now, will he get a lot of reps? Probably not. Will he be a major factor? Probably not. But it'll just be a a wonderful sight to see him out there. And if he can go out there and make a play for us, that would be amazing too. I'd feel a lot better about things if he was out there and able to make a couple plays for us. And don't forget about Arian Smith. I think this is a guy that things are starting to click for him a little bit. I know he didn't have any catches last week against Mississippi State, but he obviously had a couple big catches against Tennessee, that big one early in the game. And we're taking that kill shot to him late in the game he just missed so much developmental time but his skill set if you're talking about like creating separation he is the one guy outside of lad right now in the absence of ad that i think can do that so maybe we take some shots with him in this game line him up in the slot and let him just do what he does and just speed past people and this game, I also like the truck sweep. I like outside zone, perimeter attacking plays in this game. I don't think that Kentucky, like they're a good physical defense. They're very well coached. I don't believe they are especially athletic in the front seven. So I think that we can have some success. Obviously, I love running outside anyway, with Darnell Washington brought Bowers out there. I mean, Darnell just pancakes people. And you have really athletic Tackle, left tackle in uh, in Broderick Jones. Marius Mims should be back healthy this game. He's also a really good athlete. If he's playing right tackle, obviously McClendon's going to play a lot. He's not as good of an athlete, but if you have Mims in the game, I think we can have a lot of success attacking the perimeter against this Kentucky defense with our run game. But at the end of the day, if I had to boil all this down to one key to the game, that is exactly it. Can we run the football? If we can run the football, hit about 150 yards or more, average somewhere between four to five yards per carry, I think we win this football game and I think we win this football game comfortably. And the flip side, if we're also able to stop their run, I know this is like an oversimplification, but I mean, oftentimes it's what football comes down to. If we can run the football and if we can stop their run game, I don't think they have a chance in hell to win this game because if, if they can't run the ball, if we stone Chris Rodriguez, Will Levis is not going to beat us with his arm. It's the same thing as Florida. We were able to stop the Florida run game, and Anthony Richardson simply was not equipped to beat us with his arm, and it's the exact same thing with Will Love. So if we can run the football and stop the run, we win this game going away, and we head into Thanksgiving, take on Tech, and try to wrap up this regular season. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you here today on the Glory UGA podcast. We are not done this week. Charlie will be back with me to wrap things up at the end of the week with our official pick. So check back there. I'll give you my official pick for this game. Charlie will have her pick as well. And we'll have a bunch of other picks for you as well. I'll try to give you as many winners as we can as the college ball regular season starts to wind down very tragically. It's very, very painful for me to say that, but that's where we are right now. But Still, some great stuff for you guys this week. Make sure to check back then. Thank you for being here. I'm Tyler. And as always, go, dogs.